You all got here in snow and ice and six degrees. Wow. So uh, over the Christmas holiday, thanks to my son, I learned how to take a panoramic photo. <laughs> Start over here with Glenn. Oh, it says slow down. Don't you think I'm going slow? To me, it feels like I'll be up here forever. You guys look good. Oh, it had to start over. There we go. Now you're used to technology in the church, aren't you? The uh, sermon for today has turned out to be one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, I have ever prepared to preach. There are two reasons for that. First, my heart is very, very full as I leave the professional staff of this church. And there are just so many emotions swirling around. It has been a privilege that I can't even describe to work with Jim Long and Ron Jenkins and all of our extraordinary musicians, Glenn Miles, to, to get him started on his way uh, at this church has just been a, a, a great, great privilege. You know, uh, Glenn Miles said to me about, well, when I said that I would be leaving after Christmas, he said, you should preach on December 31st. We'll be your liturgist. It'll be fun. <laughs> I cannot believe I fell for that. So there's a lot of deep emotion for me on this day, and I appreciate that you all came out in this horrendous weather to be here. The second reason this sermon is difficult is because Ecclesiastes is one of the weirdest books in the Bible. And that's saying something. <laughs> so there's some weird stuff in there. You don't hear many sermons preached on Ecclesiastes, and uh, there's a reason for that. We don't know much about it. We don't know who the writer was. We don't really know when it was written or why it was written. There's a lot of mystery surrounding this book. Really, there are only two reasons that people are familiar with Ecclesiastes at all. One is that they've heard it read at funerals. And two is that they're familiar with the Pete Seeger song later performed by the birds. <laughs> Somebody's my age. <laughs> Um, according to the internet, the, uh, the song by the birds, Turn, 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 is now recognized as a hippie anthem. <laughs> While the songwriter did not use the opening verses of Ecclesiastes, probably because they are a total downer, chapter 1, verse 1, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What a heavy burden God has laid on humankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. Now, how's that for a nice Sunday after Christmas message? <laughs> the truth is, though, we've all felt that way at one time or another. Fortunately, the author of Ecclesiastes doesn't leave us in that very dreary, downer place but carries us forward to this message that for everything in life, there is 
a season. There are seasons true when things feel hopeless, and there are seasons when things are full of hope and promise and joy and anticipation. And above all, this weird little book in the Bible tells us that we ordinary humans cannot know everything. Especially, we cannot know the mind of God. We can experience the love of God. We can bear witness to the character of God. We can see evidence of the presence of God in the world. And we can live our days just surrounded and wrapped in the spirit of God. But we can't really know God. And so, says the author of Ecclesiastes, we trust that there is a time, a season for everything. Confession. I was feeling a lot of pressure about this sermon today. I felt at first that this would be a day to say something important and significant and memorable. The problem is, in my experience, important and significant sermons don't usually happen because a preacher set out to preach one. They happen organically because of what's going on in the world or the life of the church. And really, all I want to say today is that I love you people. And I have felt loved by you. And at the end of the day, what could possibly more, be more important or significant? So I have learned some lessons along the way, including that you never know what kind of feedback you will get at the end of a church service. <laughs> a lot of you already know that my very favorite service of the year, my favorite hour, with apologies to Ron and the choir, because you don't attend this one, is the four o'clock family service on Christmas Eve, right? There are 700 people in this sanctuary, the majority of them under four. <laughs> we have a real baby, real shepherds, and it is sanctified chaos. So a couple of years ago, after this Christmas Eve service, a little boy, I want to say he was 10 or 11, came up to me and pulled on my sleeve and said, this baby Jesus was so much better than last year. <laughs> so much better. He said, this baby Jesus was smiling and looking around. He said, that baby last year slept through the whole thing. Now, another memorable one, I know this is gonna start to sound a little bit like Art Linkletter and kids say the darndest things. Another memorable one came from Damien's wedding. Wave, Damien. He had a, uh, a two and a half year old ring bearer. And when I got there the day of the wedding, you know, right here, right here in this row, we were all sitting there together, all dressed up, and I said, my goodness, you look like a handsome young man in that tuxedo. And I was wearing this black robe, and he looked up at me and said, you look like Batman. (laughs) 
caped crusader. Those have been really fun and sacred moments, truly, truly. Uh, by the way, baby Jesus this year, Talmadge family, was fabulous. <laughs> I have learned that in this church and outside of it as well, people can open their minds and open their hearts to really hard things, really hard truths. We are capable of stretching ourselves. We can avoid that trap of getting too comfortable in how we think and how we speak and who we know. We can hear a message that's disorienting and very upsetting, and we can stick, in, stick with it. We can hang in there. We can keep chewing and chewing and arguing and debating about it until some sort of new understanding unfolds. We are capable of that in this church, and we can be an example for this country in that way. When people are really committed to just staying in the conversation, I'm not even talking about, you don't have to commit to agree, you don't have to commit to anything other than just staying in the conversation and staying connected. Some of you will remember that Motel 6 commercial, We'll leave the light on for you. That's what we do here. We leave the light on for each other. Even when relationships are broken, they can be healed, they can be restored. Another of the lessons I've learned here at First Community Church, thanks to all of you, is that I can actually get out of my head. This is a great struggle for me. Those of you who know the Myers-Briggs, um, I am right between a T and a P, which means I have sensation and intuition about things, and then I say, well, we better research that just to be sure. You have taught me through the way you live your lives, the way you encounter your faith, the way you tell your stories, that it is possible to trust God and trust the movement of spirit in our lives. That isn't easy, or at least it wasn't easy for me. You know, I like a message with footnotes. But I've learned to get out of my head and into my heart. Along the way, I've also learned that it's very important to pay close attention to the messages, the names, and the images we use for God. Another child, an eight-year-old, taught me this one. She was, a, she was a guest at this church. She, her grandmother brought her, and uh, she was, like, precocious. You know how an eight-year-old can just pepper you with questions? Boom, 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 boom. And, um, and, and, and at one point, when I was explaining something to her, I said, he, for God. And I stopped myself, and I said, well wait a minute, I shouldn't have really said he because we don't really think that God is a he or a she, that God is more than being a male or female. It's God is all of that and more. And I probably talked too long because I could kind of see her eyes glazing over as I'm explaining this. And uh, so finally, I stopped talking. <laughs> and she looks at me and she puts her hands on her hip and she said, you know that look children give you that communicate that you are the dumbest human ever? 
And she said, well, I still think God is a man. And I said, okay, why is that? Have you seen the pictures of him? Uh, yeah, actually I have, and they're all men, so I can't argue that point. Another lesson I have learned is that I, I cherish this lesson. I know what it feels like to be embraced by a community. You know, community is one of the most profound gifts of God that we have. You can look at all the sunsets you want, you can walk on the beach all you want, But when we are in community, when we are together, when we are holding each other up and cheering each other on, that is when the Spirit of God is probably most alive. The Bible says we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. True community is something to really work at and to treasure. And it's way more than, you know, being polite and friendly to each other at the coffee hour after church. It's digging in to understand each other and to love each other when we don't understand. To keep loving when we're angry and frustrated. That is what community looks like. Henry Nouwen once said, community is finding out that you're sitting next to the person you most don't want to be in community with. That's what community looks like and you stay in there. Now perhaps the most important, not perhaps, without question, the most important lesson I have learned in my years at First Community is that resurrection is real. I believe in resurrection because I see it all the time. I've been with you through some dark times, illness, death, addiction, mental health, catastrophes of all kinds. And you and your families have somehow navigated those times to feel joy again, to love again, to live again, to risk relationship again. You have navigated those times to once again experience the the abundance that God intends for all of us. And just as I'm looking around the room, I'm thinking of Wendy, and I'm thinking of your grandson and son and baby Lauren. I'm uh, thinking of Johnny Patton. Just all around this room in my panoramic picture, I can see stories where people have been through the hardest, toughest, worst moments and come back to life. And this point was made for me again just this morning after the 9.15 service. I was able to hold a baby girl who's about two months old. You know how I am about babies. (laughs) She was so precious. Her mother struggled with addiction and mental health issues for 10 years. In and out of rehab. In and out of jail. And now that mother is well and healthy and working a program. And she's got this gorgeous baby girl. If that isn't resurrection, I don't know what is. And that's real and true. 
And when the text says, turn my mourning into dancing, you can really know that it's possible. To everything, there is a season. I am so grateful for my season at First Community Church. Here's the thing, church. You also are in a new season. You have an energetic new leader, expansion at all of our facilities. This is a time for renewed purpose and urgency about your role in the world. We are living in troubled times. Our country, our world is fractured and hurting. And I don't care who you voted for, I don't care what party you belong to, we're hurting. We are having a very hard time being community in America today. I can only imagine what the writer of Ecclesiastes would have to say about these times. People are inundated. Actually, I think a better word would be assaulted with bad news, conflict, violence, division, and it feels, feels like it could never be healed. But remember, feelings are not facts. And the fact is, there is nothing that God cannot heal. I believe that with all my heart. There is nothing beyond the reach of God's healing touch. That said, this church cannot sit on the sidelines. There has never been a greater need for the inclusive message of First Community Church. There has never been a need greater than now for light in the darkness. There has never been a greater need for the grace that you have to offer. I don't know if you realize that the grace of God that you reflect to people, you reflect it to people who who don't believe it. They don't believe that grace is for them. Even worse, some of them have been told in their church that because of who they are or what they've done or who they love, the grace of God isn't for them. So there's never, ever been a more urgent need for who you are and what you have to say to the world. Never. Now, in the coming year, Glenn Miles is going to ask you more than once, are you ready and willing to do whatever it takes to get this inclusive message out into the world? Whatever it takes. And that means that more than ever before, First Community Church has to be a courageous church. One of my favorite uh, writers, and I think the same is true for a lot of you, I know it is of you, Abby Jo, (laughs) Brene Brown, (laughs) she has changed our thinking about vulnerability and shame and uh, courage and how important it is to show our real selves to each other. Here's what she wrote. Courage is contagious. A critical mass of brave leaders is the foundation of an intentionally courageous culture. Intentionally 
courageous culture. Every time we are brave with our lives, we make the people around us a little braver and our organizations bolder and stronger. The world needs a brave, bold, strong First Community Church. You are that church. You always have been. And now it's time for you to be even braver and bolder and stronger. I thank God for you. I thank God for your future. I love you. And I will keep the light on for you. Amen.